Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everybody, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 55 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest can truly be described as a man of the people, which can be extremely rare in the poker world, especially from someone in his type of position. Along with being the owner of the Dusk Till Dawn card room in Nottingham, England, he is also a high-stakes poker player and one of the game's great ambassadors from his position as a businessman in the poker world. He's always looking out for what's in the best interest of players, no matter what level they're at, which is highlighted by one of his latest endeavors, which we are going to talk about today. Rob Young, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're doing well today. Not, not too bad. Good. Bye, away. Okay. Well, you've recently announced uh, some really good news, uh, especially for, for the UK crowd on Twitter, that your card room, Dusk Till Dawn, is finally going to be reopening in October after many, many months closed due to the pandemic. Um, I have a bunch of questions to ask about your card room, but before we get there, how excited are you to finally be reopening? Honestly, no, I'm, I'm not excited, really. Um, really? Why is that? It just feels like things got frozen in time. So, mm. like, we, I remember I was in Russia and this kind of pandemic happened and we had a big Grand Prix with, like, 5,000 runners and uh, there was no real panic about the pandemic at that point. Mm. And uh, I knew how many old members we got. And uh, I just uh, messaged... Uh, uh, the guys at the club and said, listen, you know, let's just shut so just to be safe in, in case it's a problem in the future. So it was like a safety precaution to to, to shut because and obviously I never imagined what was going to happen, a worldwide pandemic. Right. I smelt something was uh, was could potentially go, go wrong here. So I thought it was a good idea to shut before the governments got involved. I didn't know that anything was going to happen. So I just thought we shut for like a month and just be, be precautionary. Uh, and obviously we shot, I think it was like February, uh, and then by March, April, May, June, July, August, it was just going crazy, wasn't it? And yeah, everybody else and, and all the other casinos had to shut anyway. So like, uh, it kind of proved to be a, a, a reasonable decision and it just like things got frozen in time. So they had that Grand Prix, which is one of my favorite tournaments of the club. Sure. Uh, and then we've been closed for 18 months and now we're going to open. So I don't see like people are talking about do a grand opening. Mm. I don't. I just think I just feel like the world of like a film, twenty nine days or something like that, like a zombie film. Everything's been frozen. Nothing's changed. It's just normal business as usual. So no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not excited. I'm just like uh, normal. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you say nothing's changed, but you did also share some kind of disheartening videos. You know, there was a little bit of vandalism there. At the time, uh, you know, so so it's not exactly just uh, you know pause and and, and restart. You know, like, yeah, well, I mean, I can get my house vandalized. I can get you know my properties vandalized. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't personal. It's a bit annoying. This back to smoking area, up. It's kind of like that smoking area. But, uh, yeah, we had like uh, some travelers park on the car park and break into the place and try to smash the food machines up and get mm-hmm. me and. Uh, um, I don't understand how people thought there was going to be a lot of money in there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but it wasn't like personal. It was just like, you know, 
it was just remind me of the zombie apocalypse when apocalypse when people go a bit crazy during the pandemic. Right. But yeah, I also wanted to make sure I was mindful that all the casinos were opening. Casinos opened halfway through the pandemic. Sure. Casinos opened straight away after the government allowed them to. And I was also mindful that I needed to have to keep some sort of uh, communication about Dust Till Dawn mm-hmm. with the members, just to let them know I'd not forgot about it. Right. Still kind of kind of okay. So, if you, I mean, I don't really want to post like something boring. So if I post like the smoky share, it's very smashed, and someone's graffiti to front. It's a bit more, a bit more realistic, isn't it? And, and sure. And, and share. I mean, I, I always think that. Uh, I mean, I'm not really a big. Big uh, person on a uh, on social media in terms of like I don't spend a lot of time on there apart from Twitter. Okay, the only one I use. I've sure. never been on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my PA set like an Instagram account up, but I've never logged into it. Okay, uh, so it's just really I use Twitter, and you know, you know, from my point of view, uh, it's a good way of communicating with the customer, and mm-hmm. uh, it's been really really handy. So yeah. Yeah, we're just like posting like updates, really. Like, there's a lot of people going on to customer support and emailing in and saying what's going on. And I was just trying to set, you know, okay, this has happened, that's happened, but you know, just chill out and uh, we'll see what happens. Right. Well, we'll definitely talk more about uh, your your direct engagement with customers and, and social media a little bit later. But you mentioned members, and I know uh, you know a lot of folks in America don't necessarily know this whole idea of members. You just walk in a casino and play poker. So what, what can you explain what you mean by members of Dusk Till Dawn for those who are unfamiliar? Well, we don't have a walking policy, Dusk Till Dawn. So it, it's the same in the UK. People, anyone can walk in into a casino. Okay. Uh, but, uh, from the very start, we chose to have a, a members care policy. Um, so we chose to have driving license ID. Um, I mean, the reason for that was nothing nothing apart from safety. Um, mm. I wanted to make sure that every person that came through the doors, we knew who they were. Mm. Um, and I feel that that that's enhanced the uh, good behavior that we've had at Dust or Dawn over the last, God knows how long, 15 years, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what a member is, basically. It's, uh, you know, you actually, you actually physically have to join. And obviously we can say, we don't want you as a member, we can suspend you, or we can buy mm. you. Um, Interesting. So, so yeah, there's no no. You can't just walk in off the street like you can in 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 a lot of casinos. You can walk in the street as well. I right. think it's a good environment for to better to have less customers and have a more safer and secure environment and, and know your customer than uh, than not have that as a control. Right. I mean, it's obviously a very highly revered uh, destination, and I'm sure that uh, ambiance contributes to it. It's unique, again, for those you know who haven't necessarily been there. I know I haven't been there yet. I hope to get there. Uh, you know, once travel opens up properly, um, you decided to locate it in Nottingham, which is 130 miles away from London. I'm wondering why why you chose Nottingham specifically, and if you consider what's well, also just the two part. Do you also consider the London poker rooms to be competition of sorts, or is that something different? Uh, no, I mean, there's a there's a story that goes round about myself and Nick, uh, my, one of my best friends, went to the local casino in Nottingham. We were 10 minutes late. They wouldn't let us in. So Nick said, well, we should open our own poker club. Well, obviously, we wasn't going to open one in London. We were going to open one in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. So we did it in Nottingham. Um, so that's the only reason it's in Nottingham. Uh, Interesting. Uh, 
I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, it's done for uh, because we like going there and we like to see our friends there. Mm-hmm. And we like to do stuff we're interested in. We don't want to hook. We don't really want to go down the motorway for two and a half hours and do it there. So Got it. It's actually worked out actually okay because if you actually look at the look at the attendances for say you take a common event like UKIPT, mm-hmm. uh, WSOP, WPT, where you can measure that have been in London. Uh, GPS. I mean, we even when we would when we did the GPS Genting Poker Series yeah. at Dusseldorf, we got more runners than any Genting venue. Wow. When we did the UKPT, we got more runners than any other stop. When mm-hmm. we, I mean, we hold the record for every single event, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, WPT more runners. We hold the. I think we still hold the record for WPT event in the club. Maybe Barcelona beat it. I can't remember, but I mean. We ran Barcelona with WPT anyway, so yeah. Um, so our, people say that loca- say about the location, but it's smack back in the middle of the country. You see, it's mm-hmm. ten minutes from ten minutes from one airport and forty minutes from another. So I would actually say that uh, that inadvertently uh, with the location, we actually got pretty lucky that we were the central of all the uh, all the motorway networks in the UK, mm-hmm. very easy to get to from all sides of the country, and very close to two two major airports, mm-hmm. Midlands and uh, Birmingham, which are straight into all the European cities. Right. So interestingly enough, I think that that Dustal Dawn gets more footfall, more runners uh, than, it would, than it would if it was in London. I think it would get more regular cash game business in London, but I don't think it would get the same tournament, tournament footfall. Right. Uh, go figure. I mean, like, also... You know, if there's that old saying, you know, if you build it, they will come. I mean, you didn't just build like a five five table room. You built, you know, a, a, a castle for poker. Uh, you know, it's what's like over 50 tables or 60 tables you have, something like that? No, we have 50 tables. Uh-huh. Uh, we've always had 50 tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got room for more. We took the casino tables out uh, before, just before COVID, actually. Uh, so we could have, I think we had 70 in there. At some point, but I think we had 160 tables where we put the extensions on the side with the marquees. Right. 200 maybe. Or wow. Go on pre. So it, it can scale up. Uh, but effectively, I mean, the, the appeal of Dust or Dawn is because it was the first, what we would, it was the first uh, effort to really, really, really focus on a dedicated poker offering. And a lot of people came through Dust or Dawn and became famous poker players. So there's a lot of what I call a, there's a lot of a love for the place because it kind of kind of really helps stimulate poker in the UK. So I think uh, I wouldn't say Binion's level because obviously you get to Binion's has got so much history. But I would say in, in the UK because it's got so much history, people feel comfortable there um, compared to going into maybe another venue where it's a little bit more frosty. Mm-hmm. So got I, it. you know it's not. You know, it's not the area. Or I mean, I cringe. My friends from Vegas want to come over and, and play, and I'm like, guys, it's not. You know, it's just a poker. Room, you know? <laughs> I, I, I meet you in London. I mean, like the Triton said, let's do Triton at, at Dusseldorf, and I was like, no, no, it's a million pound buy-in. We have to do it in London. So sometimes I actually turn away business because I cringe a little bit. That's uh, you know, it's not up to the standards that. The, the brand the, the brand exceeds that it should be something more grander. But in reality, mm-hmm. it's just 50 tables, square, square right. box, and, uh, 
pretty nice, quite well designed in terms of the Coliseum type. Yeah. Type where the tables are. Right, the levels, sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's the appeal and the mystique of uh, so much history in the place. Mm. I mean, Very cool. Guys like Sam Trickett started off playing 50 cents cash games there. Jake Cody. I mean, you can just name so many poker players that came out of Dustal Door. Michael Zhang, one of the highest stakes guys around at the moment. He started off playing 25 pound tournaments when he was at university in Nottingham. Wow. I mean, there's just so many top players that have come out of Dustal Dawn. I just think it's got that history and that that kind of uh, appeal to it that people people like to go. I mean, we've had like, I mean, we had so many high roller tournaments there. So many people flying from all over the country, all over the world there. And I'm like, really? Nottingham? Or to Nottingham? And I'm way I'm like sometimes flabbergasted. People from Vegas coming over to play at Dustal Door. I'm like, why? But (laughs) people just kind of like it. I can tell you again, like I've I've always wanted to go, and the way you're describing it, like it makes me want to go even more. I mean, like it really does seem to have something special about it and, and i know like you said it's attracting you know these huge tournaments it's by far the biggest in the uk you attract you know party poker you attract the wpt uh for example i mean that, those are names i always know that are associated with dust till dawn uh, i'm wondering if perhaps you could explain or explore a little bit your personal relationship with party poker wpt and you know, that's Till Dawn's relationship with those two brands. Yeah, well, it's quite a complex relationship I have with all the poker world. Uh, I mean, WPT I've worked with for donkeys and donkeys years. Um, I, I wanted an EPT at Dustal Dawn, and then a friend of mine, Neil Barrett, he always wanted to have a WPT UK at Dustal Dawn, and I always said, no, 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 I don't want to I want to have an EPT. And, uh, and then it became evident, I think PokerStars got taken over by Amaya and there was just no chance I was ever going to get an EPT at Dustal Dawn. Mm. Actually, they rebranded it to PokerStars Championship. But at that point, uh, I said, okay, let's do a WPT. We broke the record for a WPT in Europe. Um, first time we did it. Um, and uh, that, that relationship with WPT really starts... I had a relationship before, but relationship was a business relationship. Mm-hmm. Probably... Started from there. Adam Pliska is a friend of mine. Hamont's very nice. Sure. Person I go back a long way with. Very special uh, people. I'd say I've got really close close links with WPT. Uh, and it was actually Party Poker were sponsored the WPT. I, I didn't really know Party Poker apart from the fact I used to play on them when play on the site when I was a kid, when I was younger. Wow. Um, and like there was the managing director was there called Tom Waters, and he said to me, you know. Could 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 we? Do, he wanted to kind of move poker forward a little bit, and he said, "Is there any way you know you could you could bring you bring your online traffic over to party and etc." I was having lots of problems at the time with iPoker, uh, and before that, Boss, and before that, Wager Logic. I mean, I was so happy with Dustal Dawn on Wager Logic. It was the, the old bet, the Betfair on there, William Hill on there. Then then they got bought by Boss Media, and we got moved there. And then something happened and we ended up on iPoker. And I, I was really not happy with the online offering because our live mm. offering was really good. And our online offering was 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 not as good. Less good. So yeah. I came along and said, uh, okay, you know, um, we're going to rebuild Party Poker and we want Dustin Dawn players to play on Party Poker. That was when I started to get closer to, closer to Party Poker, really. Got it. And uh, obviously... Uh, you know, I got very close to Party Poker um, in terms of, you know, helping them with their online, 
friend of mine, Patrick Leonard, was an ambassador. Um, and uh, yeah, that was good relationship. I think I always have, I hope I always have good relationships with Party Boca because uh, um, it's some, it's, I've been heavily involved in some of the recent, recent software improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but obviously, like any, like, like, you know, like anything, I do, you know, I've got all friends everywhere. I've got friends at Poker Stars. Um, I know people at GG, you know, so I, I know people at 888. Mm-hmm. So I, but yeah, you are right. Because because, because we branded the club Party Poker, made it impossible really to run any non-Party Poker events there. I mean, no one's really going to want to book the club uh, for an event when the chairs have got Party Poker on them. So <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, but yeah, it's been, certainly been an interesting project. Can, can I can I ask uh, probably just a little? Is can you share? I mean, like you said, your relationship with Party goes back many years. Is there something that you specifically do with them today, or you consider yourself more external to their organization? Um, I think I've always been been external. Like, uh, but before COVID, obviously, Party ran all its events at Bristol Dawn. Mm-hmm. And Dustal Dawn operated all of Party Poker's live events. So effectively, you had Party Poker Live. Okay, it's branded Party Poker, but it was Dustal Dawn that operated the events for them. I think everyone kind of knew that when the Dustal Dawn staff keep turning up and Simon Trump is there and Nick Whiteson's there. And so, yeah, so obviously Party had no live team. So Tom said to me, Can Dustal Dawn operate all our live events? And uh, we went and did that. And then when COVID stopped, obviously, no live events, nothing to do. Blah blah blah, you know. So that's probably where 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 we where we most involvement. And uh, I think next year, I think party are penciling in hopefully two events at Dustal Dawn. Hopefully, that'd be great. Um, and but I was always interested in the online side as well, working with Tom and helping him. Um, so you know, I, I did get heavily involved in in some of the online, especially the change the changes that I wanted to see in online, lower late reg, lesbian mm-hmm. entries. Just stuff to kind of protect the average guy who's got one bullet, you know, was keen to kind of, and the party would listen. Um, That's important. That's important. The advice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, a couple of events at Dustal Dawn, and uh, my friend Patrick's still the ambassador there. Yeah. Obviously, Tom Waters has uh, left at the end of last year. He was the he was the MD that really really pushed the growth through through Party Poker. And, uh, you know, uh, in terms of operating their live events, you know, uh, uh, some of my staff that were at Dustal Dawn, um, I believe they're going to contract some of those guys to do that and they're going to go and work for party. Um, so, yeah, I mean. But... Interesting. Well, that's cool. I, I definitely hope that uh, 2022 uh, brings some better news on the live front uh, and online front. Why not, you know, other than uh, well, 2020, yeah, 2021. Just lucky that we could, obviously, with all the live events stopping, you know, lucky that we could afford to keep to keep paying paying the uh, the staff sure. uh, and survive. You know, I mean, absolutely. Well, we were fortunate in that position. In, in obviously, live poker stopped. You know, I mean, we booked a lot of hotels in advance. You know, for yeah. live events. And obviously, COVID's been been incredibly painful. Sure. Uh, well, I know that, you know, obviously, you know, while you're here, you've got that huge passion for poker. You're very involved in the industry. 
Um, but you've also got other businesses, you know, to the extent that you feel comfortable, um, perhaps you could give us a general idea of what else you do outside of poker and perhaps how much time, you know, weekly or monthly you spend on poker related pursuits. Well, I mean, poker just depends. I mean, poker's up and down. Obviously, I've hardly spent any time on poker in the last 15, 16 months because no dust or door. We've had no no live events to operate for party poker. Um, obviously, a party, a lot of changes have been made. A lot of countries have been closed. Yeah. So it's been kind of, there's not been a lot of projects on party that you can really help with. Source of funds in the UK, that's happened. So there's been, basically, there's been a lot of restrictions put on online gaming over the last like 15, 16 months. Sure. Maybe COVID made regulators kind of look at that and say, I don't want people, people gambling at home. So I haven't spent much time on, on poker really for the last 15, 16 months, to be honest. Uh, I've, I've mainly been spending time on, on, on crypto payments. So mm. we have like a, uh, a payments business uh, called uh, Looks on Pay, which oh, sure. is, uh, is, uh, is an app. Uh, like Revolut, not as good as Revolut, but we target. I'm targeting to give be a bit more gaming friendly than some of the other apps are. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know as a as a gambler myself, you know, I open a bank account, one gambling transaction goes through from a casino, and the bank's ringing me up. I mean, it's disrespectful. Sure. <laughs> but we have Looks on Pay, which is targeted at the gaming sector. Uh, that's a, 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 and obviously we have the. You know, I'm always interested in crypto, and uh, we have a, uh, a crypto news site called CoinRivet, and uh, that's going to develop into multiple crypto products over the next four to six months. So uh, some forward-looking stuff. Very cool. Yeah, they're my main interested businesses, but obviously I have other boring businesses like property and things like that. Um, but in terms of gaming, you know, in terms of gaming... Um, yeah, crypto. I like crypto payments and gaming. I, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> I think there's quite a lot of people. Kind of interesting, you know? Yeah. Interesting, in, interesting sectors to be in, fast moving. Even if not to be in, it's certainly interesting to watch from the sidelines. And I fall into that latter category, but it's certainly interesting. I know uh, Tony G is also involved in, in Lux and, Lux and Pay, right? No, no. Uh, he just wear, he just wears the he just he's a good friend of mine and my friends have wore the pack oh, to advertise it. Okay, there you go. I, I know I've seen him associated with that, but that's very strange. Yeah, that's what he's wearing the patch and advertising and helping me as a good friend. Very nice. Um, Hopefully, we'll get him on here on the on the cards chat yeah, podcast in the future. So t- t- Tony G has way more projects than me. <laughs> I have like eight or nine at the moment. I guess he's got like eighty to ninety. Oh my goodness! He's involved in NFTs, or he's involved. He's got he's got his coin poker. Which yeah. Is, by the way, mm-hmm. what they do, uh, the market's not ready for that level of adoption yet for crypto. But I, I love the idea of playing in playing in a token. Um, but yeah, he's got like 80, 90 projects on. I think cool. I've maybe got like 12, 12 projects at the moment. Cool. Well, you know, you mentioned that uh, you're really only on Twitter lately, um, but I remember years back, you know, when I, when I knew, you know, before, you know, Rob Young, I knew you were still Rob Young, but you used to maintain a pretty detailed blog, and I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and, you know, that same yeah. ethos, yeah. that same ethos still comes through today from the blog and also now is that 
you know, you're very open and very involved, very engaged directly with the poker community. And this is exceedingly rare to see something like that from the chairman of the board. So, so I'm wondering, what is it that you feel is important that you, sitting on top of that pyramid of, of what you do in poker, need to be directly engaged rather than delegated to others? Well, I mean, first of all, I've always been engaged. You know, I first started off on Blonde Poker. Um, I had a blog on Blonde Poker. Obviously, forums got taken over by all the different ways. That's back to 2007. So I used to have a regular update on, on Blonde Poker, 2000, yeah. maybe 2005. So I've been regularly engaged with players for 2005, 16 years. So it's not something new. Yeah. And as things have changed, then I had a party poker blog, I had a Dustle Dawn blog. Mm-hmm. And then social media seems to have taken over now in terms of where you would where you would communicate with people. So and uh Twitter seems quick and easy to use. Um, so the whole so the whole thing's just migrated kind of right. to Twitter, mm-hmm. but it's the same, same shit, basically. Yeah, 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 I get it. Shit or not shit, it's the same stuff that I've been doing in 2005. Yeah. And answer your question, uh, poker players are really small. Um, um, so why would why would you not engage with like poker players? They're really small. I mean, I think we've done some really good things in poker and we wouldn't have done any of those things if it wasn't for getting feedback from poker, from poker players. So um, I think there's a misconception that uh, talking to your customer is... Uh, is is risky um i don't think so i think if you talk to your customer regularly and regularly and regularly when when you really make a balls up they kind of forgive you i think it's risky not to talk to your customer make a balls up yeah i mean we've got we made some real balls up i remember one time on bite poker we had a million dollar tournament and we had two running at the same time um the software created two and half the people in one and half the people in the other and you know, people forgave forgave that. And uh, I think uh, I think poker poker players have got really good ideas. I think like zero point zero 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 one percent of them are trolls. I think they care. I think I'm the opposite of like what everyone else thinks. Banks and big companies and financial institutions and accountants that they, they all think poker players are degenerate gamblers. I think poker players are some of the smartest people out there, and they come with, come with, they can come up with really good ideas. Uh, for me, it's a no-brainer, you know, talking to poker players. I mean, I've had sometimes on Twitter, one guy just put a suggestion in. He's got three followers. And I go, God, I never thought of that. I'm going to do that. Thanks, mate. You know, so, like, I think two things. First of all, I think you should respect your customers. So you should keep in touch with them. And I think the second of all, your customers can can definitely give you good suggestions, good feedback. And... When you really do balls up, they kind of know you, so they're not going to, like, uh, hang you. So I right. think it's a good thing. I mean, I have no problems. I don't think in 15, 17 years of engaging with the customers, blog, local forum to Twitter now, I can't remember, like, a bad situation that I've ever had. Like, hmm. And that's not bragging. That's just real. That, that's the truth. You know, when you're that open, I, it's an amazing answer, and you're absolutely right. You know, I can't remember, uh, you know, everyone say, like, oh, you can't do this, you can't say that. Oh, you know, it's a bit risky speaking to the customers. 
Right, but I never had any, I've never had anything bad happen in 17 years of speaking to 15, 17 years of speaking to customers. So I mean that's a pretty decent decent sample mm-hmm. to me. So I mean obviously you're asking the question, but I'm actually reversing it to you and saying it's a stupid question. Okay. That's fair. I, I will accept that because that answer is just absolutely brilliant. Thank you. And then again, I'll just say, you know, unfortunately, that's exceedingly rare. And uh, I think perhaps more people should follow your example. That's a brilliant answer. Uh, before we get into your playing uh, of poker, you mentioned Simon Trumper. I know that's a name that's uh, closely associated with yours um, you know, and Dust Till Dawn. Uh, who's Simon Trumper? What does he do? What's, uh, what's, what's his deal? Well, he's not been doing much for the last 18 months. <laughs> Just been coming to the office, having a cup of coffee, relaxing. I mean, no one's been doing much, you know. Okay. And, uh, and, and doing some bits. But, uh, yeah, Simon's obviously, you know, he was a, one of the late-night poker legends. With him, Devilfish, Dev Gold Club, Devilfish, Dev Gold Club, bless him. Uh, mm-hmm. Mike Sexton era. Phil Helmuth here, actually, you know, even though Phil's obviously still in the limelight. Yeah. Um, you know, those guys, those old school guys, you know, I, I like them all. And uh, Simon is an honest, straight, um, down the, you know, right down the line guy. And he, I, I like to have him for for dealing with a lot of the poker stuff because mm-hmm. uh, obviously he's been in the game for a long time and uh, I'm well-respected. I mean, when he took over and did TD the ISPT in Wembley, I mean, imagine mm-hmm. in a yeah. tournament in Wembley where you've got pods all over the pitch and upstairs and, you know, <laughs> crazy things. And, uh, and you know, he's, uh, he's a good guy. I've been yeah. with him for a long time. Yeah. Well, you can tell uh, a lot about a person by the people they surround themselves with. So that's why uh, I specifically wanted to get that question in there. Um, all right. Well, many members of the poker community and the cards chat community specifically, we've seen you playing poker in some very high roller uh, events, nosebleed cash games, folks like Sam Trickett, uh, Tom Dwan, Leon Zuckernick, Paul Fla, Tony G. Before we talk about the high roller stuff, though, let's talk a little about your early days, because it's not unlike, to the best of my understanding, recollection, it's not unlike many recreational poker players. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. The stakes have gone up as crypto has gone up. Um, Okay. You know, the biggest game, I remember playing the biggest game that was around at the time in St. Martin 10 years ago with Patrick Antonius. Maybe it was 12, 13 years ago. We were in St. Martin and we were playing 5,100 PLO. And that was a huge game. That was a huge game. Maybe wow. 12, 13 years ago. And the whole, there was people people watching and uh, there was Johnny Lodden there, Patrick Contanius, me, a few other guys. And we were playing 5,100 PLO and that was the biggest game. Um, so the stakes now have got, have got nosebleed. But in reality, you know, they just, I think people people have just got richer and made more money. So the stakes have gone up to mean something to them. Huh, so, that's interesting. You know, I mean, people talk... Yeah, I know. I mean, I know people that were playing like like I, I remember when I remember on Betfair where the biggest online game was two five. Wow, two two dollars five dollars. Yeah, I remember when they put five ten in, 
this is a long time ago. I've been playing poker for a long time. A 5'10", oh, 5'10's a bit big. Then they put 10'20 in. Oh, they're going to ruin the ecology now. They put 10'20 in. Then they put 25'50 in. Oh, my God. You know, and now everyone that's watching now is used to seeing these nosebleeds. Yeah. But when I used to play 15 years ago, we used to think 25'50 was nosebleed. Wow. It's just the, it's just like a house 15 years ago cost 100K and now it's a million dollars, you know? That so is interesting. These stakes... These stakes have exponentially multiplied, and you'll probably see that in tournaments. Yeah. Do you remember when a high roller used to be like a 2K buy-in? <laughs> some of them still are on some, some tours, yeah. Now we've got – now we just got – we just did an event in Sochi. Uh, quarter of a million buy-in for the main event. Sure. So it's a – that, that I did with Paul Poirier and Richard Joel, a million pound buy-in event. Yeah, that's insane. So all the stakes in poker – have just gone through the roof with same as the stocks, same as crypto, same as house prices. Interesting. And uh, so I think a lot of the businessmen have made money in other areas. Mm -hmm. And obviously the pros will go, will play, a pro will play any stake because they can just get staked as long as they're plus EV. Sure. So the stake doesn't really matter to the pro. Like a pro can get, a pro can get staked to a million pound tournament if it's plus EV for him. People are just like buying equity. So, you know, just, just saying your, your, your question there, talking about like, you know, starting off and the stakes growing higher and I'm playing high stakes now. Um, there were there were kind of high stakes in those days for us. Interesting. So you're saying, so you're, it was like this this decision to jump into those nosebleed games, that was just a function of the money meaning something to you? Uh, no, they were just the same games that were 25, 50, 10 years ago. They're now... Okay. 1,000. Yeah. Nothing's changed. Huh. That's very interesting. A few, Although, players, uh, 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 a few players have changed, but, you know, <laughs> it's the same guys are playing. There's a few new players in there, but, you know, the games, the biggest games in the world are the biggest games in the world. They're just higher blinds now. Sure. Uh, so is there, is there, I'm just wondering, is there like sort of like, an amount of money, I don't mean to pin a figure in it, is there an amount of money that makes you nervous or you always consider yourself to sort of play within your means? Or is it perhaps something that throws you off your game as more, you know, fear of a particular player or competitor? Or does that not exist for you? Um, I played in a game once where I felt uncomfortable. Um, and that was... Uh, they were playing, uh, it was a 5,000, 10,000 PLO game. And uh, then the straddles went in and I felt uncomfortable in that game, yeah. <clears throat> but that's, the, I think, but, you know, the problem is, is you can't really, if you, you can't really get up. You kind of, <laughs> <laughs> credibility-wise. Um, but yeah, I played in some big games. Um, there's no probably one where I thought, where I thought this is, I thought that if someone loses a big, big amount here, could be a problem. People paying up. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's obviously one of the problems you got in these these in, in these high stakes games is that someone if, if someone's guaranteeing the game and the game gets too big, then right. the, guy, the guy who's guaranteeing the game says it's not for me, and then you have to make a choice whether to play on. So, right. So there's, there's no class of player or particular player who sits down. And you're like, uh oh. 
interesting. No, but I'm a businessman, so I play anyone, you know. Right. Okay. Uh, that's, that's what businessmen do, isn't it? Businessmen, VIPs or whales or whatever you want to call my category sure. of player. You sure. know, I'm the fish that the pros want to play against. So <laughs> if, if I wouldn't play against the pros, then then that wouldn't work, would it? Well, I've seen you yeah. make some pretty good plays in, in some clips. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say yeah, this. Play again. <laughs> I, I'm happy to play like table of seven pros myself, six pros myself. Um, no problem at all. I know the fashion, a lot of the businessmen aren't, um, but um, so you play for you play for what reason? Then? What what sort of emotion are you hoping to experience when you sit down at a poker table? I play. It takes my mind off things. To be honest with you, when I'm when I'm playing poker and chatting at the poker table, um, kind of takes my mind off like personal stuff and business stuff and and. Uh, you know, the time goes quick. Like, I just played at the Merit. Uh, we played, like, 200, 400. It was just PLO, I think. To the Northern Cyprus, yeah? Trying to reach, yeah. And I was playing me, Tony G, Paul, Leon turned up, uh, a couple of other guys, and chatting away. The cards are happening. We started at 2 o'clock, and we played till 11, went for dinner, dinner continued till 3 in the morning. So we played for, basically, it was a 13-hour session. Wow. But it felt like two hours. Um, I think for me, yeah, definitely relaxation for me. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, a lot of business gets done at the poker table. Um, a lot of talks, a lot of chats. I mean, there's some really, really good people, you know. It was, it was good. To, you know, I just went to Andrew Robles' wedding in, um, in London and saw uh, Eddie, Bobby, all the guys that play the, the big games in LA and America. And it's just good good to bump into those guys, Sean Dempsey, those sorts of people. Um and just real good guys at the high stakes scene that you that you want to hang around with. I mean, mm. why would you not want to hang around with people who are like super successful in one field and you can talk to them and um they sometimes you know it's just interesting like it's like i love playing with kevin hart you know the comedian i don't ask you about his films and and, and, and obviously he's an actor as well i don't say kevin how's you like the latest film things like that we just chat about anything um, right. kind of like the golf course in a way yeah i play poker with a uh, with, with bruno mars and people like that and you just get to it's just interesting so why why would i not want to do that and it takes if it takes my, it takes my mind off the other, the other problems that happen happen day to day, like the world shut down for two years. <laughs> so that, that, I feel very relaxed at the poker table. Um, I don't want to play stakes that I wouldn't feel relaxed at. Um, if you're asking me to pinpoint the exact stake, um, I, I uh, one uh, anything above one uh, k, two k. So like a 1K, 2K, I played regularly before the pandemic. If someone wants to pump it up to like, I played 2-4 as well, actually. <laughs> yeah, I think at 2-4K plus, it's kind of like, you know, probably not where I can relax for eight, nine hours. So, sure. Yeah. But if you're asking me for a game I would like to play, if someone says, oh, we're going to play 500 1K, would probably be... My perfect because then you can nibble in with the 2k straddle. Mm -hmm. If someone's stuck and wants to put a 4k straddle on, it's not brutal. But the problem with like 2k, 4k is people then round it up, straddle for 10 and then 20, and then people 
and then just get silly and uh, it's not not really poker. Gotcha. Well, I mean, you yeah. said that. So, sorry about the route, long-winded answer. No, not at all. This is fascinating. You don't often get this perspective. 500, so, 1K, uh, and everyone's got to sit down with 100 big blinds minimum. Is what, what kind of, I would look forward to a relaxing day. Mm-hmm. 1K, 2K, I would still be okay. But I guess 2K, 4K is where I probably wouldn't want to get invited. Because I yeah. just, Sure. I know one. These games don't start off. You see it, the, the first blinds. Right. So, right. Typically, you go and play a game, and and it's a one hundred, two hundred game. Um, and you and okay, the four hundred straddle goes on. Well, then the blinds get people get stuck. Oh, put the blinds up 200, 400, 800, 1600. and so whatever you're playing at the start, you know, is going to dictate at the end. So, and I never leave the table. So, if I'm if I'm winning, I never leave. I want to respect my opponents. Never hit and run them. Um, I can't ever remember when I was winning that I left, unless I'd got like a a meeting or an appointment that I've told people about. Um, right. So it's important for me when I've got that policy of uh, never hitting and running that uh, that the blinds are within some sort of control. One might argue it or extrapolate from that, you know, if, if Rob Young is saying he's not hitting and running at his stakes, then perhaps we shouldn't be doing that one three or two five either. Just a point for consideration for everyone who's watching and yeah, listening. Well, uh, I'll be honest with you, you know, at the high state scene, there is people that do hit and run. It's amazing. It's amazing how many lunchtime uh, dinner appointments people get when they're winning. <laughs> Suddenly my wife's in town, my brother's in town, I've got to go. And it's kind of funny, but uh, it's amazing how many people put their earphones in, earphones on when they're winning and bobbing to music and just fold in. So you know, I, I wouldn't say high. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to say high stakes. They don't, they don't hit and run. Okay. Low, low medium stakes. They shouldn't. Uh, just well, you can lead by example, though, as you've done. Though. So I think that's fair. Not really. I just. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say lead by example. I would just <laughs> say that uh, uh, it's etiquette, really. Not more example. How, how I would want people to behave with me. Right, right. But That's fair. I'm def- def- definitely not leading by example. <laughs> That's fair. Well, you, you do play primarily in cash games, but if one were to go through your hand and mob, you've got about half a million dollars in tournament results. A high percentage of your results are final tables, but no wins, Rob. Uh, obviously, you're hugely successful in you know, so many aspects of life. Is that first place trophy something that you just kind of want to, you know, get that monkey off your back a little yeah, bit? to win a poker tournament. But the truth is, I, I got to the final of EPT Dublin and uh, I had good chips and I got a really nasty beat by Roland Wolf, Ace-King versus Ace-Jack. And uh, I flew all my friends over to watch the final table. Oh, gosh. I mean, I flew like 10 people over at the last minute to watch the final table. I said, I'm going to win this. This is the time I win the trophy. And uh, I called it. We were, he, he, he rivered a, a three-outer on me, and then I quit tournaments. So if you know, <laughs> I, I just quit after EPT Dublin. And there's some, like, charity tournaments and stuff with the club with a bounty on my head that I've played mm. since then. Um, but, yeah, I effectively just quit because I, I didn't recover from that for, like, six months. Yes. I felt so sick because so mm. much wanted to win an EPT. <laughs> um, and I thought, thought that was my time. Uh, I actually booked it to Roland Wolf two days ago 
in, in London while I was uh, walking up the street. <laughs> I had a good chat with him. Um, so I'm sure that my tournament winnings would actually be a lot more, but I actually quit then and I said I'm never playing another poker tournament in my life. But the feeling mm. was just so devastating for me. Like, everyone was like, in the crowd that flew over and, uh, you know, just... And my friend of mine, William Thorston, actually won the tournament. Uh, who I like. Mm. I'm second, but uh, kind of after that, I just quit. And then I just just play cash games and and really... You don't really get a lot of time to play poker when you're when you're when you're working at the same time. Sure. And, um, and I have like a quite quite a, a complex uh, a family situation. You know, my sister's disabled. My mm-hmm. my father's not very well, so I haven't got a lot of time to play poker. So kind of need to get those results when you do play. Sure. Um, I get that. Um, well, the, well no, that's, that's my excuse for the only, only having 500k winnings on the hand of mop, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, don't have, I don't even have a hand in mop profile, not a single result, so you're doing just fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I, was leader, yeah, I was chip leader in that million pound buying one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the track. Yeah, track. Yeah, I spoke to Bill Perkins. He said, you chip leader, take it steady. You've got final chips, average chips to the final table already after day one. And uh, and then he gave me some really good, solid advice. And then I just dumped, dumped it off bluffing and making silly calls the next day and didn't even make the money. And that was like, that was the biggest buy tournament ever. Mm-hmm. So... Um, At least a good amount went to charity, though. So that's a, that's a good thing, the trading money. Yeah, but, you know... <laughs> fine tournament and I had quite a few pieces of people as well um, mm. I mean wasn't didn't go too well that tournament well, yeah. never mind uh, well, uh, one thing we you know we'd be remiss not to talk about last subject I want to get to before we get to the uh, community questions is your players initiative um, it's obviously got a lot of attention a lot of discussion and buzz going on you had you know you were active on Twitter you tweeted this poll about this potential sort of like a poker union or association or something like that that would be regulators uh, and, and they would, you would be lobbying the regulators, operators, and, and promote the game. You tweeted out a video, uh, including how you would be yourself, you know, ponying up, you know, $1.2 million to, you know, help fund this initiative. You know, let's, let's not hear it from me, though. Let's give you the floor and maybe you could talk a little bit what exactly you foresee or would hope for with this initiative? Well, I mean, I've spoken about this before, not to to lots of people. There should be some sort of central coordinated voice where to to basically lobby on issues that everyone agrees with. Um, and that's a key point everyone agrees with. I don't think anyone in the world doesn't agree that America all American states should be able to play with each other and Americans should be able to play poker with uh, UK people. I mean, who could ever disagree with that? I don't think anyone agrees that um, um, cheats are, are good for poker. So, you know, on the, on the common issues, I think having a common voice, I think, is important. I think on the issues where people are divided, I don't think it's possible to uh, to have one common voice. So I talked to I've been talking about five or six years to people about about this, and I always kind of hope someone kind of sensible, 
respected and kind of straight laced, like a like a full golf on type guy would step up and do something. Uh, and and uh, different people have said this guy's going to do it, this guy's going to do it, uh, but it kind of never happens. That uh, I think people kind of thinking like let's up a poker union and boycott the sites and get our own way on rake. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not good for that's not necessarily great for the overall ecology of poker. And then some people on the other poll, let's try and make real differences in poker, promote the game well, um, and less of a union, more of a, a lobby. Mm-hmm. I think because people couldn't just dis- no one could decide where they want where they want to go, and, and a hybrid won't work, in my opinion. Um, it, it's just never happened. So I would. Now, this policeman 5.3% kind of tax to the table where a German player deposits $1,000 on the table. doesn't right. $53 away from them. It's like, I just think to myself, no no regulator in the world probably wants that to happen because effectively they don't want to collect, they don't want to collect any tax because no one's going to play. Right. And there's been a number of things like that, you know, a little bit like uh, the Swedish players, friends of mine in Sweden who can't get cash back and rate back anymore. Uh, it's at Italy, you, you know, the streamers can't, the Italian streamers can't stream poker like it's some sort of crime because you know how to advertise poker. So I just think there's some really fundamental errors that have been made that anyone with one brain cell could say this is a bad idea for regulators, a bad idea for customers, a bad idea for operators. And I guess I just tweeted out that, that poll just to say, you know, we know these stupid things are happening. Does anyone care? Does anyone think it's even worth having a go at? Um, and, and I expected like 80% of people just to say, no, it's a waste of time. You can't, you can't, can't get anything going. Um, and then that was the end of it for me. But then I was uh, in the office chatting to, to Rachel Hennigan and a couple of other people. And they were saying, you know, no one's ever going to set it up unless you start it. Mm. I said, well, you know, it's not something that I would want to be doing long term because uh, you got other stuff to do. You're a busy guy. Yeah, I can't, you know, <laughs> that as well. But also, I do think these things have to have a bit of a structure, like a bit of a committee, a board, and delegation. And whereas I'm a entrepreneur, project here, project, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a dictator, but. I like to make decisions quick and I like to make, be the guy that makes the decisions. That's sure. true. I don't fit into this type of organisation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not the guy to sit opposite a regulator and negotiate with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, after five minutes, I've been pulling my hair out. So <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm the right person to 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 be, in, be involved in an organisation like that on an ongoing basis. But chatting to some of the guys in the office, possibly I'm the right person to start it up, get it set mm-hmm. up, basics, mm-hmm. website, social media, get 250, 500,000 members. So at least it's got some sort of credibility. So it's not like a Mickey Mouse right. small thing. Maybe I'm the guy that can speak to the operators. I know 888, Stars, GG, uh, iPoker. I've worked with these guys for 15 years. Yeah. Different advisors. Maybe the guy can speak to them, and maybe I'm, I'm definitely probably the guy that can speak to the casino, the live casino. So I've sure. done events at almost every casino, almost every poker room in the world, um, and I get on with everybody. Um, so maybe I could bring everybody together. You know, the media. You know, 
the media always, I've always had a really good relationship with all the media. Um, I haven't done a lot of media myself, a lot of, but I've had good relationships with them in terms of meet, you know, meeting them at a poker event, how you getting on, blah, 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 sure. blah, for some drinks with them. Kind of know most people in the media. Um, streamers, influencers, dealing staff, floor staff, TDs. So at some point, that's 50, 70 years, kind of bumped into everybody almost. Yeah. So maybe I'm the guy that could kind of set it up and get and get things together and get it credible. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it's not such a bad idea. So then I guess I thought to myself, well, how much is it going to cost? Do you need to have like full-time staff, some people doing some administration, the website needs to work. All these other things that get sort of set up, someone part time, you know, volunteers, you know, please help me. It, these federations ringing up saying, please give me two thousand dollars for a banner on my website, and almost like spending spending their time firefighting rather than actually trying to produce something. So I thought, how much would it need? Don't know, a few staff, website, hosted, work on social. How much would it need to just continue so it doesn't go broke? Mm-hmm. So I said probably 20k a month. How long does it need to not go broke for? We have some security. Five years, five times twelve times twenty, one point two million. Okay, that feels feels okay. Um, wow. So that's that's where we're at with that situation. That's how it came about. That's amazing. I, I love the explanation, and I just sort of have to ask. Let, let's think positive for a minute. Let's think best case scenario. You're successful. You do bring everyone together. You know, like really, like, like let's imagine that it's it's almost uh, you know makes you a little yeah, giddy. Imagine that because that would definitely happen. So, okay, so you've got so you've got your half a million people. You've got your million people. Uh, I can commit to two fifty to five hundred. I, I just don't know which one's credible. Yeah, fair. So so whatever that number is, I think a hundred is too small. I mean, a million would be serious. Two fifty to five hundred is probably credible. Let Let's take three hundred thousand because that's a number that resonates. That's about how many we've got in the cards jet forum as well. So let's take that number. Let's say you've 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 done it. The money has worked. The effort has worked. The vision has worked. You've done it. So to you, what would you hope? You know, once we've achieved that step one, what does this organization accomplish? What would you like them as their laundry list? Their top two or three accomplishments you'd like to see them get done? Work on the common interests of poker. So don't get involved in like where it's 50-50. Like people were talking about WSOP vaccinations. We should have a union to talk to WSOP about that. I mean, half the people think that WSOP have made a bad decision. Half the people say they haven't. You can't lobby for that or be a union for that. Just work on the absolute things that everyone agrees with. So by everyone, 90% of the poker world agree with. Work on improving those things, and uh, that's regulation. But there's also some, you know, some security issues to do with bots and uh, um, solvers and things like that. That you know, people people, people definitely don't want people angle shooting the poker. So basically, work on the work on the common issues, the bigger issues, and have a strategy strategy to do that. Um, so, but unfortunately, um, you know. Whether people can do that, I'm not sure. But I'll, what I want to do is give them the tools to do that. I want to give them a membership. I want to give them a strategy for regulator. I have a particular strategy that I think would work better to influence regulators. You know, I'd like to put that in place. 
Um, so I'd like to leave, kind of have it like a, a turkey solution for the poker community to come in, elect some people and and try and see if they can do something. But that won't be a small body. If you've got like 500,000 like members and you've got quality corporate members, the live tours, the live casinos, the online operators, I mean, listen, not everyone's going to want to be a, a, a corporate member because it's not going to have a website with like party poker on the front of it or poker stars on the front of it and have that level of influence. Hey, you can be a member, fine. Um, if we're able to connect everybody, get that level of membership, you know, have a half-decent logo, look decent, you know, I'll do what I can to promote it. Like, for example, the Caribbean Poker Party, which we've done every year for the last 15 years, you know, we'll promote it there, promote it through, my, through all my different friends I've got who do, do, do events. Um, we will definitely, there will be no imagine, you know, we'll, de we'll definitely deliver an MVP. An MVP, minimum viable products. You heard that before? Yeah. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely deliver an MVP. There's no doubt about that. But then, and then it's up to the members to then elect people in the right positions. Uh, there'll be a core strategy in place. So I'll be a non-for-profit organization. Mm -hmm. No one, no I'll make sure that no one can change that. Um, there'll be some core principles about the directives of, uh, of, of the things that people can, a strategy and, and, and objectives of the of the organisation, they will be able to change that. I think, people, right. I think people should be able to change those. Um, but I don't think people should be able to change it's not the non-for-profit side. Sure. I, I think that's just terribly exciting. You know, like, to, like when Rob Young wants to get something done, he gets it done. You're saying there's going to be an MVP, so it's it's going to happen. But that's yeah, that's impossible. Unless I die, it's not. <laughs> Very cool. Um, well, I do want to, like I said, respect your time, Rob. So now we got to move to the segment of the show where we turn to our Cards Chat community, see what questions they wanted to ask our guests. Uh, we do have a dedicated thread, everybody, in the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who the future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. So um, Acid Burn FX always asks some great creative questions. He's got one for you, Rob. As a child, you wanted to become a marine biologist and explore the oceans. What made you migrate to poker? <laughs> Pardon me? How does a guy know that? That's true. <laughs> and, and what made you migrate to the poker world and leave your desire for that inner child aside? Um, well, I mean, I migrated to the po poker world by pure fluke. Um, I walked into the wrong door, so I was going to play blackjack. And uh, I walked to the casino, opened the door, and it was—it wasn't the casino; it was the poker room. I think I might be looking for the toilet, possibly. And <laughs> there, there was like a hundred people playing poker, and I said, "What's this?" And it, it was a twenty-pound rebuy tournament, and I played that, and uh, I was shaking like a leaf. <laughs> and uh, great, and wow. I, I loved the game ever since. And I guess, uh, I mean, it's important to understand why, I, for me, one of the most important things I like about poker, and I like the fact that average Joe, who's played one hand, like me at the time, could sit next to Greg, Greg Raymer and Chris Moneymaker and have a chance of busting them out of the tournament. Um, and I like the fact that it was that poker's ageless. Look mm -hmm. at Dora Brunson. He's still playing, 
still a tough customer to play. So something that I could, I thought this is, wow, I found something here that I could play. And really, you know, if I live till like I'm 70 or that, you know, I can still play something, do something competitive, do something that keeps my mind going. So those two areas really, really made me really like poker, um, which, uh, but yeah, walking through the wrong door was the reason. <clears throat> Sorry, I can't give you anything more creative than that. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, you did mention that Chris Moneymaker, that's episode 15, and Greg Raymer, episode 43. I always encourage folks to go ahead and listen to the older episodes we've got here on the Cards Jack podcast. Uh, one more for the excellent people. Wonderful, wonderful people. Um, Acid Burn FX had one more question for you before we went to the next person. Uh, Rob, if you had the chance to go back in time and change one thing, would you do it? Yes. Would you care to share what that one thing is? I'll go about I've got about a hundred things I tell you. <laughs> there one. Yeah, loads of things. I, I mean, lots and lots of things that I would change. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can, we can accept that. Like I would definitely. I've just had children at the age of forty-nine and forty-six, mm-hmm. and uh, I would definitely change. I would have children as soon as I was able to uh, create them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I have to spend more time with them. You know. So that's that's like a. But that's a big one. Probably my biggest change. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd want to have children like as soon as possible. Fair. Um, our next uh, community member, Antonis32123, uh, has some questions for you. Um, ah, okay. Have, okay, have thus far with regard to your initiative, uh, have other people in the poker industry, any particular pros or rooms or operators as of, right now shown interest in joining this poker players union uh could you just share with us any names or people we would possibly know that would let's be relax interested? on this union thing because okay by a union by a union i mean the union of people coming together i don't mean okay. a union with pitchforks outside of right right <laughs> um i'm just reading the questions <laughs> association yes yes a lot of people a lot, a lot of Professional players, uh, operators, live and online, yes. Okay, cool. Um, and finally, we have Crystals, uh, who has some questions for you, one you kind of answered already. Ah, okay. What have you learned about the poker industry from running the Dust Till Dawn card room that you never would have expected to learn? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, I've learned how, I think the single thing that I've learned is how connected it is. Hmm. So how staking, um, playing, affiliates, um, how the ecology is actually so close and so many people cross globally. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've learned. You know, in other industries, in other industries, like just the casino industry, you're not going to get the same crossover with a casino in a, in the UK and a casino in America. Right. Whereas with a poker venue, the crossover is is immense between uh, if you if you make a mistake in poker, it's very very uh, much more dangerous than making a mistake in say another sector. Everyone knows each other. 
you know, you'll know, just like you just interviewed Moneymaker and Raymer, I know them. Yeah. You know, everyone knows each other. It's a small uh, industry in a way, yeah. Yeah, but the most single thing that I learned at Dust Dawn was as people came to the doors, so-and-so knew, so-and-so knew, so-and-so knew, so-and-so knew, so-and-so, did so-and-so, did an affiliate deal here, worked for poker stars here, uh, um, was a dealer of WPT here, you know. Yeah. The world is so, the poker world is so connected. People call it this fancy word at the moment, community. I mean, it's a, I would say it's more of a collective than a community. Mm. Community kind of indicates that everyone kind of gets on. You know, we're a community. Like you have a friend's community, don't you, on, on, on social media? Sure. I would call it poker as a collective. So we, we might not get all get on and we might argue a little bit, but ultimately we are collective and we kind of all know what each other's doing and um, that's the, probably the most interesting thing that I learned at Tustle Dawn. Because I also got people coming from UK, Europe, France, dealers, employees, online operators, and everyone's kind of ends up knowing, everyone kind of knew each other. I worked with that guy five years ago, right. I played poker with that guy in LA and... Yeah, and people move around from one company to the next as well. So it's always good to get on with everyone. Players are moving all the time. Players are yeah. moving sites. Players are moving venues. So eventually, you know, everyone gets to gets to know each other. And even on the industry side, one day someone's working for WPT, the next day they're with a media organization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a. It's the word community gets used a lot. I think I think it's more collective. I, I love your. This is like the second and third time I've noticed you're very particular in a good way with your choice of words. And, I, and that's, that's a very admirable quality. It's, it's important to you to be exact in that way. And uh, I like that. We've got time for one last question, Rob, um, from Crystals. Again, thank you very much, Crystals. Uh, Rob, in your opinion, what is the biggest hurdle facing live poker these days worldwide? <clears throat> I would say the the biggest hurdle. I don't think there are hurdles. I think there's a threat. I think uh, if the casinos and the government start to clamp down, like they have in the UK, on source of funds, AML, anti money laundering, loss <clears throat> limits, it's, it could make it difficult to hold live tournaments. Um, for example, in the UK now, I believe. They're bringing in a five hundred pounds a month limit. Um, if you're under twenty five, mm. unless you can pr pr provide a lot of documents, etc. I mean, I don't think it's confirmed yet, but I've heard rumours, and I know that that Flutter Online have brought that rule in. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think the biggest like hurdle slash threat for the future is uh, is treating poker like a, um, exactly the same as gaming. So. Mm -hmm. So, in which case, say you've got a tournament buy-in of a thousand pounds, and you 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 you've sold out seventy percent of it yourself, and you're putting three hundred in yourself. You know they're not going to factor any of the whole poker thing in. You know, right? So if, right. if you just walk up to a roulette table and put in like a thousand on one bet, you know, and it lasts one lasts thirty five seconds. I mean, that's very different to sitting down and playing poker, playing a tournament where you're selling pieces out. Where you know you need to you need to play X amount of tournaments to hit to, to hit the long term. Same sure. as a cash game, you sit down with a thousand pounds in a cash game. 
you know, you're probably not going to lose that whole amount of money. You're not risking it. So I think like the treatment of poker, the same as a casino game, would probably be the biggest hurdle going forward, I think. Interesting. And you mentioned at the top that uh, you had removed all the gaming tables from dusk till dawn. So I think you've made your stance pretty clear. Yeah, after Jake Cody did a, uh, spun that roulette wheel, do you, I don't know whether you heard about that when he uh, Jake Cody came in and spun his whole widgets on the on the roulette wheel against me after he won a high roller tournament. Wow, did I did not hear about that. Yeah, there's some video had like 11 million views about him coming to the casino and put put in his uh, high roller winnings forty four thousand on black, and um, when that happened, I decided to take the tables out. Gotcha. Okay, I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm, joking. I, I, I'm joking. That wasn't the reason. <laughs> some, people, some people think it was a big coincidence. <laughs> That's fair. Well, thank you, everybody, who sent in questions for Rob Young. And again, a friendly reminder to everyone in our card check community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests and the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you liked the show. Rob, before we let you go, is there anything else you'd like to tell the Cards Chat community? Um, no, I mean, there's some quite good questions there about what's happening at the moment. Obviously, uh, um, hopefully poker's good. Live poker, I do believe, is going to be busy. And, uh, you know, hopefully every, everybody is uh, going to get back to as, as normal as possible. And um, I guess most people are kind of who've been reading this stuff. I've been talking about about the uh, about the, the the global poker, whatever. We haven't got a name yet. Um, I, I hope they can feel secure that uh, it, even though there's a lot of things to do, that you know definitely the minimum viable requirement will will be delivered. Love it. Well, uh, Rob, thank you again very, very much. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.